Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing? What well, is so great to be with you guys today? Uh, it has uh, been a while, obviously, since I've been here. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Moses Camacho. Uh, I'm the senior pastor of South Hills Church. You've walked into a church that is uh, one church, but also multiple locations, which ultimately means we have other locations that are also South Hills Church that are doing the exact same things that you're doing today, except for you guys get to have me today. All right, and so uh, we have eight locations in Southern California and two out of the state of California. And uh, the heart for South Hills is to continue to take this message and to continue to take the way that we do church and continue to take it into communities that don't have a relationship with Christ or that need a relationship with Christ or that need to go deeper into a relationship with Christ. And so we've been very intentional with uh, taking God's word, taking God's message, taking the way that South Hills does church uh, into other cities and making sure that we are doing everything possible to connect with those in the community so that they can get to know Christ and have a relationship with God and have a a place where they can have community and meaning and purpose. And so I don't know if that sounds good to you, but if that sounds good to you, give God a huge round of applause. All right, I'm glad eight of you are really excited about the mission of South Hills. Let's try that one more time. Who's excited about seeing God move in communities? There we go. Well, uh, just so you guys know a little bit about myself, I actually was born and raised in the city of Corona. This was my original home church uh, before, you know, even before, you know, God moved me into the role of the senior pastor. I was, uh, my wife and I walked in through those doors and made this our, our home just because we really believed what God was doing with South Hills. And we were really standing behind, you know, how South Hills did church. And so we, we basically uh, made this our church home like many of you have. Uh, and then uh, just like, any other place that you ultimately make your home, you start to contribute. And so one of the first things we I did was volunteer as an usher and open up my home as a small group. And then next thing I know, just God continued to ask things of me and continue to move me into other roles. And then at some point, continued to move me into the role of leaving my career of where I was at. I used to be a teacher up the, up the street, actually. And then ultimately uh, started working full-time for the church, and then God moved me around some other churches and then brought me back here uh, to lead this uh, lead South Hills. And one of the things I enjoy about this role is not just because I love being a part of the church, but because I love being a part of where I ultimately started. I, I started, you know, and, and, and the mission and vision at South Hills has been always to make a difference in not only in our own lives, but make a difference in the lives of those around us. And so this year, uh, we started adding something we call the verse of the year. And the verse of the year was something that we, uh, that we decided to uh, bring in front of our church, not just our staff, but bring in front of our church and, and challenge our church to memorize the verse of the year. And there's a purpose for that, not just because it's a good idea to have scripture in your head and your heart. Um, and the reason for that is when you have scripture in your head and your heart, it ultimately forms your thoughts and it forms your words and it navigates uh, your decisions throughout the day. And so I don't know about you, but I'm assuming that the reason why you're here is because you would like to have some help and guidance and direction with those decisions that you make throughout the day. And, and if you're anything like me, 
um, you have the, cap- the, the capabilities of really making some poor decisions throughout the day. And then you also have the capabilities of making some really great decisions throughout the day. And so one thing I've noticed about uh, the way I approach my day is if there's scripture in my head and heart, I do a better job making decisions throughout the day. I yell at less cars on the freeway. I scream at my kids a lot less. My wife likes me more um, versus when I decide to skip the process of putting scripture in my head and my heart. And so, so that was the heart behind challenging the church to memorize the scripture. And I'm just going to go ahead and test you right now. Uh, how many of you have memorized that scripture? Show of hands. All right, here we go. I knew, I knew the answer. So that's, don't worry, you're human, and I'm used to dealing with humans. So the scripture that we've been implementing this year is Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. How many of you have heard the verse Philippians chapter 2, verse 4? We'll start there. All right, good. We're all moving at the same pace now. Okay, now the scripture says, don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. All right, so I'm going to have you repeat that with me. Ready? Don't look out. All right, hold on. You're going to repeat with me? All right, look at this, you guys. This is, you guys look a lot like my students when I used to be a teacher. Just doing whatever you want, whenever you want. I understand. All right, so I'll say it, then you say it. Ready? Don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. We're going to try that one more time. Philippians 2.4. Don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. Now, let me unpack the reason why that was the verse of the year for 2023, because as we sat down and we started thinking about uh, South Hills Church, one of the things we noticed is South Hills Church, no matter which campus you go to, whether you're in Corona, Burbank, Costa Mesa, Manhattan Beach, wherever campus you show up to um, on any given moment, every campus does an amazing job on the weekend experience. You come on the weekend, and I, you know, I, I'm at the campuses every other, every week, and so every time I walk onto the campus, no matter where I'm at. The, the church does an amazing job making sure that you feel welcomed, making sure that you feel that, you, that you're wanted here, gives you free coffee, free donuts, uh, has an amazing worship team that is leading you into the presence of God. They're not just talented musicians, which they are, and they're not just uh, talented um, vocalists, which they are, but they also lead with an anointing of wanting to make sure that you have an experience where you're connecting to God, your creator. Uh, and so when they show up on stage, they're not not just looking to entertain you. They're looking to move you into a presence where you get to know who the God that created you and brought you into this world is. And that's important. That's important for me. That's important for South Hills Church. And so I just real quick before I move on to the next thing, I want to make sure you recognize that. Let's give the worship team a huge round of applause for the amazing job that they did today. And so the intentionality behind everything we do, um, there's, there's a thought process and there's a reason for everything we do. The worship and then the messages, the, the, the teaching series, everything that we do on the weekends is intended, intended to help you draw closer to God, to get to know who God is, to get to live your life the way that God has designed your life to live. And so if there's, if there's someone that's going to guide me in life, if there's someone that's going to speak into my heart, if there's someone that's going to uh, navigate my thinking, uh, the person that I would want to do that is, for one, a person who loves me and has the best interest for me. But who better than the person who created me? Who better than the person who thought of me even before my mom and dad even knew each other? 
Who better than the person who had a purpose and a plan to bring me into this world and why to bring me into this world even before my parents were even born? God already had thought of me. God has already thought of you even before your parents thought of you. And so if someone went through all that trouble to think of me, to create me, to design me, to give me a, a gift, a talent, a weakness, a strength, a personality, a thought process, a, a, a way to think through and a, a navigate through life. If someone went through all that work, do you think it would be important for me to figure out what it is that that person or that God has to say about how to live my life? How to think about the world? How to think about family? how to think about relationships, how to think about careers and choosing careers and how long to stay in a career, how to think about marriage, how to think about parenting, how to think about finances and how to look at money and how to, th- uh, how to view money and how to, how to use money, spend money, save money. Do you think it would be important for me, for you, to ask those questions and to dig into God's word to figure out what was your thought process when you brought me into this world and you put me around people, and you put me in a place where I have to survive, and I have to create a career, and I choose to have a family, and I choose to have a spouse, and I choose to have kids, what was your thought process behind all those decisions that you knew I was going to make? Would that be important? Because the reality is, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised on how many people on a day-to-day basis, get up and make decisions every day. Some of them them intentionally, and some of them without even thinking about it. Every day people get up and make decisions in every aspect of their life and never, ever pause and think about what would God want me to do with this problem, with this relationship, with this career, with this paycheck? How would God want me to navigate through this? And as I have those conversations with people, some of them, like I said, don't even realize they're doing it. And some of them, when they actually are honest with me and they share, you know, I really have a fear of asking God to do how to live my marriage or how to live with my finances or how to live life. I have a fear for that. I ask them, well, well, how come? Tell me about that. And they'll be honest. They'll say, I just don't know if I can trust them. I view God as this person or this being that doesn't want me to have any fun, that doesn't want me to enjoy life. And then I dig into that, and I just start asking them, like, okay. I said, well, from what I read about Scripture, I don't see that. But somehow, some way, you've come to that conclusion that God wants to Make your life miserable. <laughs> and, and, the, and the problem with that is everything that I read about the Scripture is the opposite to what you just said to me. Everything I read about God's story and God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and God's purpose is so that his family, his children, you and I, could have the greatest life ever. Could have the life 
that will be impactful and meaningful and relationships that would be healthy and that you would want to be in relationships and that you would be able to uh, navigate in a relationship where both of you are benefiting from it and getting invested into from it, where your finances would be blessed and anointed. And so everything that I read about the Bible and what God would want for you is exact opposite of what I hear from people who are afraid of trusting God with their guidance and direction. And so today we're diving into this series that we call Economic Atheist. And the reason why we're diving into this series and we're in week three of this series is because finances and economics have a lot to do with your decision making. And we, as you know, if you've been here from the beginning of the year, we've spent a lot of time on other subjects as well. What have, we, what have we spent time doing so far this year? We've spent time talking about relationships. We've been, we spent time talking about the uh, first of the year. We talked about your relationship with God. Uh, the second month of the year, February, we talked about relationships with others. And then this month, we're talking about your relationship with finances. And so we have a strong belief that the Bible has a lot to say about your day-to-day life. The Bible has a lot to say about your relationships and, the, and all the decisions you make in life. And so as we dive into week three of Economic Atheists, this thought process was formed with the idea of helping people understand that God has a lot to say about finances. God has a lot to say about the, the income that he allows you to make. And I say the word allow because God is the one that allows you to create an income. The reason why you have the ability to do your job is because God gave you that ability. The reason why you have the skill set you have is because God gave you that skill set. Okay, how, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll test this theory. How many of you chose your parents? Nobody, right? Nobody before they came into this world said, God, here's the mom and dad I want to have. And here's the mom and dad I'm looking for. 6'3", 6'1", I have an interest in sports. I want to make sure I'm athletic. I want to make sure that I have a, a, a gifting beyond others. I want to have speed. Uh, nobody, right? Nobody got to choose who their parents were. Nobody got to choose their height. Nobody got to choose their strengths, their weaknesses, their personality. Those were things that God designed and picked way before you were even brought into this world. Okay, so the career that you have and the gifts that you have and the skills that you have, although you think that you're the greatest gift to this world and that you're the only person who can do those things, the reality is God already had chosen them for you. And God had given you the gift and talents and abilities and the background and the support system so that you can do what you're doing today. And so... As we dive into this theory, we want to help, as we dive into this series, we want to help people understand and help people break the mindset of how surprisingly, surprisingly people can trust God with eternity, but they don't trust God with money. And that's a shocker to me that we would trust God with eternity of where we're going to spend the rest of our life or, the, or just spend life in general, the eternity portion that doesn't end. We'll trust you with that part, God. But the money side of things, I just don't trust you. I'm just going to make every decision on the money side of things. Another issue we run across is how many people trust God with their marriages, but they don't trust God with their finances. Many people trust God with their kids, and trust me, 
I definitely lean on God for my kids, right? I got three boys, as you, some of you may know, and they test me every day. They're right now, they're in junior high, getting ready to go to high school, and I got one graduating from elementary school who started the junior high attitude four years ago, and now he's getting ready to start junior high. So, And I'm about four months away from a junior high kid and two high school kids. And so do you think I lean on God for help with those children? Absolutely. Do I have the strength and the wisdom to navigate those three crazy kids? No way. Have I read a lot of books on parenting? Yep. Have I, have I interviewed hundreds of parents about parenting? Yep. Have I, do I spend a lot of time parenting? Yep. Do I have the wisdom and strength to get me through parenting? Nope. I lean on God for guidance and direction on that every day. Why? Because I don't control those kids as much as I want to. Those kids are going to make their own decisions. I've seen it. Often, I'll give them advice, and they go completely a different direction. I'm like, why? Why didn't we even bother talking about this if you were just going to do whatever you wanted anyways? And now here I am at the principal's office again. All right. So anyways, we trust God with our kids, but we don't trust God with our spending habits. We trust God uh, with our marriage, but we don't trust God with our finances. We trust God with our eternity, but we don't trust God with money. Somehow, some way, we've come to an understanding that we are good with an ethical God. We are good with a God that's going to teach us morals and values and teach us about relationships and give us eternity and give us love and grace and mercy. But the struggle is we are not good with an economical God. We, like, we're, we are like, God, you can have my ethics because I need help there. But the finances, the economics, I'm just going to go ahead and have complete control over that because I don't trust you. Now, of course, we'll never say that out loud. It sounds so harsh, right? We'll just do it quietly without ever saying it. And it's the same thing as saying it out loud. But we just won't ever verbalize it. And so there's a belief that in the category of ethics, I believe. I'm a theist. But in the category of economics, I don't believe I'm an atheist. And it's very possible to be a theist in the category of ethics and very possible to be an atheist in the, in the category of economics by simply the decisions we make on a regular basis. And so I want to give you some background here on the financial stats here on why we even consider speaking about money. And the reason why we consider speaking about money is because of this. 35% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 35% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck meaning they spend everything they get and sometimes even spend it before they get it. 100% comes in, 101% goes out. Paycheck to paycheck, 35% of Americans. Here's another crazy statistic that is very scary and also true. American marriages, or let's just say relationships, American marriages slash relationships have, financially, have financial disagreements every single month. There's an argument or a discussion or a disagreement about finances. Every month in America, relationships have a financial disagreement about it. Third statistic that's also scary, 41% of marriages end up in divorce over disagreements about money. 41. 41% of marriages end up in divorce over disagreements about money. So no matter how much the church talks about relationships, 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 and family month, and, and love, and, and grace, and mercy, and relationships, and investment, doesn't matter how much we talk about it and teach about it, the money side of things will destroy that 41% of the time. 
If all we ever do is talk about the relationship between a husband and a wife or a father and a mother or a, or a, a son and a daughter, um, if we're, all we ever do is talk about relationships and never talk about the economics, we will still fail 41% of the time. That's a huge statistic. Huge. A study that spanned over 20 years revealed that almost 70% of families lose a portion of their inheritance due to some kind of fight over the estate in which they were inherited. 70%. Another crazy statistic, I always find it interesting to see what the lotto is doing, and not that I have ever won the lotto. One time I won $2, and I turned around and bought two more tickets, and then I lost it, so that was really fun. And so, um, yeah, that worked out really well. And so, uh, but I like to look at the uh, statistics, I like to look at people's decisions in life, and when things go well for them, I like to be happy for them. But yet, lotto winners, 70% of them go broke even after winning the lottery. They win the lottery, they're handed a ton of cash, and 70% of them are back into the poverty, back into being broke. And here's another sad one, and this is a reality, especially for those of you who live in America. If you make $35,000 a year, you are in the 1% category of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make $35,000 a year, you are in the 1% category of the wealthiest people in the world. But yet, if you were to ask, if you were to ask an American who's making $35,000 a year if they're wealthy, they will say no. They'll say they're living in poverty and, they're li- and they have a poverty uh, salary. But yet, they're in the 1% category of the wealthiest people in the world. So the Bible has a lot to say about money. If you actually look at the actual verses and the scriptures, if you look at the Bible, God mentions money in some way, shape, or form over 2,000 times in verses 2,000 times he'll mention money about whether it's how to earn it, how to give it, how to manage it, how to return it to God, how to leverage it. Over 2,000 times does he mention uh, scriptures or guidance or direction about money. Now, obviously it's important, and so is faith, and so is prayer. Do you have any idea how many times God mentions faith in the Bible? I'll tell you exactly. The NIV version, because every version has a different number for it, 458 times. The word faith is mentioned in the Bible. Do you have any idea how many times prayer is mentioned in the Bible? How many would say prayer is important? Okay. 90% of you are praying for South Hills Church, I can see. All right. We're working on the other 10%. That's great. Prayer is important, obviously, right? Do you know how many times that's mentioned in the Bible? Specifically the uh, English Standard Version. Like I said, every version is different. 338 times. 338 times. And we would, 90% of us would say prayer is important. Maybe 90% of us would say faith is important. And yet, God mentions money more than any topic in the Bible. Why? Why does he do this? Because he knows the, the, the stronghold money has on our thinking, on our decision making, on how we view people, how we view companies, how we view churches, how we view leaders, how we view government, how we view politics, how we view schools. How He knows That money shapes our thought process. It shapes our thinking. It shapes our decision making. It shapes your whether you live in in a realm of peace or whether you live in a realm of anxiety. Whether you are living a life of of joy or whether you're living a life of stress. It shapes our thinking whether we want to agree to it or not or whether we believe it or not. It really does shape how you think and how you live. And so God decided he was going to put boundaries 
with money to help us and give us guidance so that we can get the most out of life, so that we can live a life with peace and joy and direction and purpose, so we can live a life that ultimately he created for us to live versus the life that society or culture tells us to live. And I know that anytime we hear the word boundaries, especially around money, we just automatically think like, no, we don't want boundaries. We want freedom, 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 freedom. We want no fences. We want no guidelines. We want no guardrails. We want no rails. We just want to have as much of it as we can and spend it whenever we want to and spend it however we want to, right? Like that's the American dream, right? Get, it as, get as much of it as you can and then spend it however you want. Unfortunately, that's nowhere in the Bible, Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find the concept of money through the American dream. And the boundaries that God has set up are also could be used as the word could be used for fences, could be used for, for direction, for guidance. And I know from the human heart, especially in the American culture, that is hard for us to understand. I know for sure my wife and I, when we first got married, we thought like, oh my goodness, no more mom and dad telling us what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Like, we both left our homes when we got married and moved into our home together when we got married. So we both left parameters and, and guardrails from our home. And then when we got married, we moved into our home, and this was the first time. This was the first time that we didn't have anybody telling us what to do. So guess what we did? Whatever we wanted. Guess when we did it? Whenever we wanted. And guess how often we did it? As often as we wanted. So I'm, no lie, and she'll, she'll, I'll bring her next time so you can question her in the, in the patio. No lie, for the first 60 days, for the first 60 days of our marriage, and I know what you're thinking, like, yeah, we, you don't need to talk about that, Pastor Moses. No, that wasn't even at the top of the list. You know what's the top of the list for the first 60 days every day? Root beer floats and homemade chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> 60 days. Two months every night. Root beer floats and chocolate chip cookies. We loved root beer floats. We had it at our wedding. I love homemade chocolate chip cookies. If, you, if you're that secret person with chocolate chip cookies and a, and a crazy family recipe, test me. Test me on this, okay? That's what area, what I would want to be tested. Every day we were all about the root beer floats and chocolate chip cookies until about that 60-day mark when our clothes no longer fit. And then we kind of always felt tired. And then the, the sleep was no longer resting restful anymore we started feeling sluggish and started feeling terrible and started having to buy new clothes and then we looked at each other and we're like maybe mom and dad were right maybe we should not eat this much sugar every single day of our life maybe there should be some parameters around this thing that is so good this thing that tastes so great this thing that my body craves so much we got to put some parameters around it, some fences around it. And so sure enough, we did that. We put those boundaries and those fences. Why? Because we finally decided that we failed on our own and we should lean in on our parents' counsel that they had advised us and, and put uh, parameters around it as we were growing up. And the Bible does the same thing. God does the same thing. He actually, in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, he actually speaks into like, hey, listen, I know that you want to lean in on your own wisdom. I know that you want to lean in on your own understanding. Let me just help you with that right now. Don't. Don't do it. Because you're going to mess it up. 
And unfortunately, you're going to have to learn the hard way if you don't listen to my guidance or my counsel. Here's what he says. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 10 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Everybody say, don't rely on your own intelligence. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Know him, know him in all your paths, and he will keep your ways straight. Don't consider yourself wise. Everybody say, don't consider yourself wise. Those of you with bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and doctorates and running companies and running businesses, this is hard for you to wrap your head around, but one more time, you also repeat it with me. Don't consider yourself wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then your body will be healthy and your bones will be strengthened. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Now, as you dig into not just this scripture, but multiple scriptures, you're going to see, you're going to see that God speaks into multiple areas of your life. Does he give you advice about the importance of a prayer life? Yes. Prayer life should definitely be a part of your life. Does he give you advice about deepening your faith in him? Absolutely. Deepening your faith should definitely be a part of your life. How to lean on God more and lean on yourself less. How to trust God with more of your thought process and trust yourself less. Because what we see from Scripture over and over and over and people, and people who decide to go on their own decisions and their own thoughts is they often run into a wall or run into trouble or run into chaos. And so then after they run into wall, uh, trouble or chaos, what do they do? They look for God to rescue and so God rescues them and says, hey, don't go down that direction. Make these better decisions. Go down this road. And then they get on that path, and everything's going great. They find joy. They find peace. They find comfort. And then all of a sudden, they think that they had something to do with it. And they're the reason why. They're finding joy, peace, and comfort. And then they stray off and run back into a wall, back into trouble, back into chaos. And then guess what happens? And then they got to go be rescued. And then they get on a path. And then they think they did it. And then they get off over and over and over. And I, as you read it, you start to think like, hey, I've read this story already. When are you going to get it? Don't go down that road. Don't lean on your own wisdom. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't do it your way. I've already seen the ending to that journey. But yet it happens. Now, the crazy part is it doesn't just happen in here. It happens right here. It happens to me. It happens to you. It happens to us. And so, and why do we, this is another reason why we come to church, because it realigns us and puts us in that direction of God speaking to my heart because I have a tendency of messing things up. God speaking to my life because I have a tendency of leaning, on my, um, leaning in on my own wisdom. God speaking to my finances because I have a tendency of spending everything I get. And so God continues to give that advice, and God continues to speak into that. And one of the areas is, is, is we're obviously in the topic of economic atheists. We're talking about what does God have to say about money? And we, what does God have to say about money? Does God say spend everything you get? How many of you have read that in the Scripture? Whatever you earn, spend it all. Whatever gift or talent or ability I've given you to make income, Every time you get a paycheck, spend every single penny. How many times have you read that in the Bible? Zero. 
Zero times have you read in the Bible. Why? Because it's not God's advice. But somehow, some way, we picked up that thought process somewhere. Whether it was school, whether it was a buddy, whether it was social media, wherever it was, we picked up that thought process. And God says, this is not the way to live. Spend everything you get. You're never, ever going to have enough. You're never, ever, ever going to have the joy, the purpose, and the direction in your life when all you do is spend everything you have. So what does he do? He gives us, he gives us guidance. He gives us guardrails. He says, yes, there's areas in your life that you need, you have needs. You gotta have a home. You gotta have food. You gotta have a roof over your head. You gotta have gas. You gotta have a car. You gotta, or bus transportation. Um, there's things that are your needs and your wants. And you know, obviously you want, you want certain clothes and you want a vacation, which is all great. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when it's all of your income. That's what makes it wrong for you. Makes it wrong for yourself, right? So God says you're gonna have needs and wants, but you should also learn to give. You should also take a portion of what I've given you and learn to trust me in this area of giving. Not just because I can do something great with it and I can do something greater than you can, but because it's gonna do something great to your heart and to your life and to your thought process. And not only that, when you learn to give, your area that you are holding on to has my blessing and my anointing versus when you just decide to do whatever you want, however you want, now you're on your own. No blessing, no anointing. So God gives us parameters and he tells us, you're gonna have a gift and a talent and ability to create wealth. I'm gonna give you that gift, talent, ability, and you're gonna use that money for needs and wants, which is fine, and it's all great. But learn the antidote, the antidote to greed. Learn how to think about money in a healthy way so it does not control you. Learn how to take a portion of what I've given you so that you can have the 90% that's left for you with God's anointing and God's blessing. And here's something you're gonna need to understand. And this is something I learned a long time ago because I did try, try it my way. I tried to do 100% of myself. And I came to realize that never will I ever, ever have enough. And never will my heart be where my heart wants, what I want my heart to be if I'm spending 100% of my money on whatever I think. So I learned that 100% of me is never gonna be at the potential of 90% of what God is allowing me to use with his blessing, his anointing. And so sure enough, God continued to develop the thinking, and he said, hey, listen, you're gonna have days in your life where your car's gonna need tires, and your car's gonna need maintenance, and your home's gonna need a new what at window or doors or whatever, heater. And so there's gonna be some, there's gonna be money that you're gonna need to put aside for this. And so God continues to speak into our lives and says, learn the basic concepts of spending what you have on needs and wants, saving or investing or both, and then learning to give. And we use this concept for a starting, uh, a start work here at South Hills. We talk about learn to live off of 80% of your income. Learn to tithe, that's first step number one. And then learn to save. Learn how to do this. And if you follow this formula, you're gonna notice that if you live within your means, you're gonna have a greater 
financial career, ministry career, uh, relationships. You're going to have a greater life. If you live within your means, when you're following God's principles of saving and giving and living within your means. And so God continues to break this down. And of course, when people hear it, just like you and I, we're just like, I don't know about this. Is this really, really what God was asking us to do? Is this really the direction? And so Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9 and 10 had the same amount of people that are saying the same type of people that argued with God's principles. It was people that, that at, the end, at the end of the day were given freedom by God. If you remember, if you've ever done the, one, the Bible in a year where it's like you read the book of Genesis and you're like, oh, man, this is great. God's creation. This is really cool how the world was created and how, how, God, how people were created and how families were brought into this world. This is awesome. Then you get into Exodus and then it's like, oh, man, the story of Moses and how God freed all the Israelites and how they were slaves and crying out to God and we're, saying, we're, just, we're asking for God's help and God's direction and then we're saying, God, we're, we're being held captive and we don't have freedom and we don't have direction and we don't get to do, you know, we don't get to do anything and we're being told what to do, when to do it from the, from the sun up, sun down. And so like you're reading the book of Exodus, this is awesome. Then you get to Leviticus and you're like, oh, all right, we'll try this one year in the Bible thing again next year because it's like now we're learning about laws and we're learning about guidelines and we're learning about principles and it's like, and so now it's like, okay, uh, this is not as exciting as Genesis and Exodus. We're going to start all over again next year, right? But in that book, in the book, it ultimately, God was giving the people of Israel some boundaries, some guidance, some directions on how to live their life because they were given this amount of freedom in this promised land that they were not accustomed to. They went from slavery to freedom. They went from being captive to being given by, by, to uh, being in the land of, of, of being free. So then he, he sees that they start making these choices and he needs to help them with their guides. And he says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land that I am giving you and your harvest uh, and your, and your uh, giving you and harvest it's produced, you must bring the first bundle of your harvest to the priest. And so God begin, begins to tell them like, listen, like, let's not forget where you got this land. Let's not forget where you got this freedom. Let's not forget where you got this harvest. And as a reminder, here's what we're going to do. You're going to give 10% of whatever you get back, back to the local church, right? And this is what he's saying. Now, the tithe in, the, in that day, the tithe, isn't what, uh, the tithe isn't what we give to God. The tithe is what we return to God because it belongs to him. In that day and in, in today's day. God was teaching them to say, hey, this is a reminder of what is really mine that I allow you to use. And so Leviticus 27, 30 says, all tenth parts gifts from the land, whether of seed from the ground or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord, and they are holy to the Lord. So once again, God giving these guidance and directions of how to use and think about uh, wealth and to think about economics and think about money. And he continued to speak these things in their life. And what he was trying to help them understand is that when God gets the first of our harvest, he gets the best of our heart. And when, you, and when he gets the best of our heart, we live in the best place of decision making. We live in the, the best place of being stress-free and, and anxiety-free and, and worrying about constant, are we ever going to have enough and how are we going to pay for this? That when we follow his principles, our heart is at the best place that it could possibly be. And this is obviously an issue, not just for us today, but I've seen it in my own kids. 
I've seen it in my own kids, and I didn't even teach them to be greedy. I promise you, I didn't teach them to be greedy. They have a very spoiled life. Their father loves them. Their father gives to them. Their father spoils them. They love sports, and I love to take them to go, you know, watch games. And so I remember when they were little. They were maybe four years old. Um, I took the twins to a go watch the Angels lose for the hundredth time. <sighs> but I took them anyways because they love it. And I and I and so sure enough, they're excited. They got little angel hats, and we're excited to watch uh, baseball, regardless of where we know what the outcome's going to be. And so then, um, so they wanted candy, and I'm like, "Great, let's go get candy." And so I bought them both candy, and sure enough, we're walking back to the walking back to the seats, and I and I asked one of my sons, it was Caleb, and I said, "Caleb, I said, can I have some candy?" And he's like, "No." I'm like, "What do you mean, no?" He's like, "This is mine." I'm like. You saw me pay for it. Like, you don't have a checking account or a bank account. I paid for your candy. He's like, he's like, no, Dad. He's like, this is mine. This is mine. And I was just like, what in the world? Where did this kid get this from? And then he's a twin. So sure enough, I don't know if I want to, I just didn't want to spend a lot of time arguing with my son Caleb at a baseball game. So I asked Caden, I said, Caden, can I have some? He's like, oh, yeah, absolutely, Dad. He opens up his bag of candy, lets me have candy. And Caden's just like, hey, do you want some? This guy's sitting behind us. And hey, do you want And I was just like, sitting here because I have twins. I got to see literally both of them at the same time. I'm just like, this kid is offering what he was given to me, his father, to the person that's behind him that's an absolute stranger, to the person that's in front of him that's an absolute stranger, what is the difference here? They both came up under the same household. They both had the same voice and same direction speak into their life. What happened? How did one end up with the stinginess of mine and the other one ended up with the generosity of, yeah, dad, here. You're the one that bought it for me anyways. As a matter of fact, since you bought it, hey, do you want some too? Hey, do you want some too? And it was just like, I'll take it. But think about this, as a dad, who am I going to give more candy to next time? Who am I going to be motivated to give more to? Mr. Stingy with no, this is all mine? Or, yeah, Dad, here, here you go. Hey, stranger, here you go. Hey, stranger in front of me, here you go. You would do the same thing. That's exactly what your Heavenly Father does to us. When we learn the principles that he's given us, we live with God's blessing and anointing, God's direction. And this is, once again, this is a starting point. If you are at a place today where your personal finances are not under this system of 80-10-10, I would go home and start cutting things out. Cut subscriptions, cut, you know, sell, you sell cars, pay, uh, get a, sell your nicer car, get a, a, a car that's paid off. I would make changes to my life to live within my means so that I can save and I can give. And I promise you, although it may not look like it at the beginning, because you're going to downgrade from a nicer car to a, a, a not nicer car. You're going to downgrade from whatever. You're going to cut a subscription to make this possible. I promise this would be the greatest way for you to live. And once again, this was a starting point. This is where my wife and I started. And if you read the Bible, God actually challenged us, us to reduce 
this more and more and increase this more and more. He challenges us to reduce our needs and wants and increase our savings and our, and our giving. And if you look at the, at the book of the law, because I have these conversations with people all the time, it's like, oh, Pastor Moses, Leviticus is in the Old Testament. Okay, you want to go to the New Testament? You want to go where, where God says sell it all? Because Leviticus is just saying start with 10%. <laughs> the New Testament is saying give it all. Like, where, where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? So and it's, it wasn't just in finances. It was, it was in every category. In, in the Old Testament, God just gave the, the, the starting point, like murder. Like, hey, don't murder people. Like, okay, fine. I won't murder people. But in the New Testament, Jesus came along and says, hey, that's a good idea. Let's not murder people. And then he says, and don't even be angry with your brother. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I won't murder him, but I can't control the anger part. Now, which one was more, the law or love? Love was more, right? Love was like, don't murder him and don't be angry with him. All right, there's another one, uh, adultery. The Old Testament says, hey, don't commit adultery. Be faithful and loyal to your spouse. Okay, that's a good, that's a good rule. Now, Jesus, in the New Testament, upped it a little bit. Yep, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. And if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. It's like, oh, my goodness. Which one was more, law or love? Love had a higher standard. Love had a higher standard. Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. New Testament, love your enemies, pray for them, give them to those who spitefully use you. Give to those who spitefully use you. And it's like, are you kidding me? You have any idea what that person did to me? They deserve to be slapped around. And I will volunteer to do it, Lord. But which one had more? Which one had more? Which one demanded more of us? The New Testament demanded more of us. So this was a starting point. This was not the end. This was a benchmark for the beginning. Trusting God means treating tithing as a first step, not the finish line. Trusting God means treating tithing as a first step, not the finish line. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and pause here because I want you to understand how you view and think about God shapes every aspect of your life. Does God want you to learn to live on less than what you make? Absolutely. Why? Because he wants you to be miserable? Absolutely not. He wants you to have more than what you have now. And one thing I learned a long, long time ago is that God can do more off of my 90% than I can off of my 100%. God's blessing and anointing with 90% goes way more than Moses Camacho 100%. Goes way more. And so what my wife and I have done is we started with this 80%, live within our needs and wants, save 10%, give 10% to the church. We started with that. But every year, we increased these and decreased these. Why? Because we saw God's blessing and anointing on our lives, and we saw our finances go further. Go further than when we were doing 100% on just us. So what did we do? We started trusting God even though it didn't make mathematical sense. We started to believe God's word even though we didn't see how it was going to be done. 
And this is the beauty of God. He is not a problem to be solved. He's a mystery to be enjoyed. Now, I did not grow up from a wealthy family. I was a lot like you guys. I had to work. I had to give to FICA, which I didn't even know who FICA was until I got my first fake paycheck. I had to pay for college. I had to pay for my cars. I had to, I had to pay, buy my own home. I had to pay for my own wedding, or I should say my in-laws helped us with their, that part of the wedding. But I, uh, I, had to, I had to buy all these things on my own. And so I understand, like, the concept of, like, oh, when? When am I going to have enough? I understand that part. But one thing I know for sure is that God always, always came through through his principles. And that my money went further with God's anointing. And not only that, my heart, my mind, my life, my relationships, everything else that tied to life. Now, I'm going to show you guys a story of someone from our Burbank campus because this is, you know, one thing to hear from your pastor. It's another thing to hear from someone who sits in the seats with you. Let's go ahead and show this, uh, show this story. Hi, I'm Sarah Drange. And I'm Michael Drange. We've been attending South Hills Burbank for seven years. When I moved to L.A., I came out here to take a job as an assistant to a television producer. I took a part-time job nannying on the weekend. At the time, I was attending a church um, over in Wilshire, and they had talked about the importance of tithing, but I made $5.50 a week before taxes. I learned so much from this family about the importance of God in the home and God in the world. And one of the things that they did while I worked for them was they donated a extremely large amount of money to a church they didn't attend in Beverly Hills to keep this church up and running. And when I talked to the mother about it, she was just talking freely about it dinner one night. She was like, well, we're tithing. And it was like coming to me from all angles now because my church had been talking about it that I was attending at the time. There was a 90-day challenge at the church. And I thought, all right, I'll try. I'll do my best. And so... $55 a week, which was before taxes, I started giving to the church. And within the 90-day challenge, my salary doubled. And then with the babysitting job on the weekend, I was able to tithe more than double what I had started. It was very clear to me at that point in time that giving God the 10% that God had given to me back showed my faith and in turn was showing to me that I could trust that if I gave my money to God, I would be taken care of. Before, for me, I was single, selfish, and self-centered and just ran around with a group of friends, you know, working on TV shows, movie, music videos, commercials, rock shows, and we just traveled a lot and I just did whatever I wanted. It became boring. It was all about me and I was miserable. So it wasn't until I started to you know, seeking God and believing in God that I really wanted to make, you know, a change in my life. So we do also teach our kids to be generous with their time and with our home, with everything. And we do that as well. We try to be a service to others and uh, to live that type of life. It just, it's, it's something that makes us, me, myself, feel really good inside is to be able to help other people that need it. My name is Hope. What's your name? Mikey. So this is the family, Mikey and Hope, and these are their jars. Each kid has three jars, and they say their names on them. So Mikey spend, 
Mikey Save. And this just mm -hmm. says give, I couldn't Mikey, Mikey give. Yeah, Mikey give. And Hope has her own three as well. And so whenever they get birthday money or allowance, if they do their chores, they divide it up and they put 10% in the gift jar and then 50% in here and 40% in the safe. Very good, Mikey. And they take their gift jars to church and put it in the envelopes. And we keep these jars in our kitchen. It was something that we actually heard here at South Hills. We both believe you have two choices. You can keep the money and live in fear, or you can send it out and trust God. And really at the end of the day, that's really what I want. I just want to, I want to have peace, I want to have usefulness, and I want happiness. You know, and I feel like I get all three of those things by tithing. Can we give them a huge round of applause? Yeah. So as, as I get ready to close, uh, every, every, table, every chair has one of these 90-day challenge cards on there. Um, and the 90-day challenge card is not just for those who haven't started this journey. The 90-day challenge is for anyone, anyone. Because like I mentioned to you, uh, my wife and I, we started with the 80-10-10. And then, you know, we ultimately started decreasing the spending, the, the 80 from, from 80 to 78 to 76 to 75, and increasing the tithing from 10%, 11%. And ultimately, you know, ultimately we did that because we wanted to lean in more on God's formula versus our formula. But the 90-day challenge, like I said, is is the best way that I can ask you to trust me, trust God, without any risk. And here's what this 90-day challenge is. Give it a try. If you haven't started tithing for nine, the next 90 days, give it a try. Live by God's principles for 90 days. And if I'm wrong, or God's wrong, we will give you your money back. For the next 90 days, don't come up to me in six months saying, hey, my car broke and uh, I'm way past that and I forgot to save and now I need my money back. No, for the next 90 days, for the next 90 days, if you haven't started this journey, I'm going to eliminate all risk. And if you already live by this principle of 80-10-10, I'm going to challenge you. Take the next step. Take the next step. Above and beyond, increase the percentage, increase your giving, for the next 90 days, for the next 90 days, follow God's principle. Take my advice. Listen to God's word. And if I'm wrong, I promise you, this is not a joke, not a gimmick. I will give you your money back. It's on video, so there's proof. It's not like, oh, you're only here every, every so often. I'm never going to see you again. Pastor Adam knows it. We're all here. There's proof to this. But I know this. And before we step into the next 90-day challenge, whether that's stepping into tithing for the first time and living off of the 80-10-10 principle or whether that's increasing the giving and saving and decreasing the spending and wants, I know this, that before we step into that, it's got to be our hearts. Our hearts have to be right. Our hearts have to be able to trust God with this. Our hearts have to lean in on God's words, counsel, and guidance. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And the very first step that I'm going to do is I'm going to give anybody in the room the first opportunity if you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not given your heart to God, I want to give you that opportunity right now because that is step one. Step one is saying, God, I give you my heart. Jesus, I ask you into my life. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. That is step number one. 
is truly giving God your heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take the opportunity to pray for those in the room that want to give their heart to God. That want to give their heart to God and say, God, I'm going to give it, try it your way because I've been trying it my way and your way seems a lot more peaceful, a lot more joy, a lot more direction, a lot more purpose. So is there anybody in the room that wants to give their heart to God and all you have to do is look up to me and raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. And if you... Thank you so much. Thank you for raising your hand. As I look through the room, I see you right here. Thank you so much for raising your hand, for trusting God and giving him your heart. Anyone else before I move on to the next part of the prayer? I see you right here. Thank you so much for raising your hand. I see you right there. Thank you so much for trusting God with your heart and raising your hand and giving your life to Christ. Now for the rest of you in the room, as you consider, God, how do I need to change the way I think about economics, about money, about finances, I'm going to ask you if there's an area in your heart that you are having a hard time trusting God with and you want God to step into that area even though it's scary and even though there's fear behind that step, if there's an area in your heart that, you have, that you're having a hard time surrendering to God and you want God to step into that area, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for and make eye contact with me so I know who I'm praying for. Is there anyone in the room that has an area in their heart that they need more of God and less of you? I see you right here. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for being brave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our leaders who are stepping out in faith. Thank you right here. I see you. I see you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Anyone else have an area in their heart? Yes, I see your hand back there. More of God and less of me. Anyone else in the room before I close in prayer? Father, thank you for your word, your love, your guidance, your direction. Thank you for speaking into our hearts today. Thank you for guiding us and for being who you are, for loving us so much that you want the best for us. Lord, I ask you, Lord, to step into our lives and help us, Lord, to be, have more of you in our lives and less of ours. Let your spirit and your love drive our thoughts and our decisions. We say these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, Help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.